This is the Family Friendly Workplace Podcast, produced by Women's Agenda. If you're a firm that's on a mission to redefine work, unlock health and wellbeing internationally and reshape retirement investment options, then you'd want to be doing those things for your own people. And Mercer is doing just that. It has the first-hand information to show what needs to be done to close gender pay and superannuation gaps, the power of employers paying parental leave, as well as so much more when it comes to being a successful organisation for staff. For its own team, it was recently accredited as a family-friendly workplace with leading paid parental leave policies that have scrapped the primary and secondary carer labels, an all-roles flex policy that was around well before the pandemic, and great support for those managing elder care, among other things. My name is Angela Priestley, and this is the Family Friendly Workplaces podcast, an initiative between Parents at Work and UNICEF Australia that's produced by Women's Agenda. My guest today is Gay Morris, the Chief People and Culture Officer for Mercer Pacific, who shares her own flexible leadership story, including how she's actually been working flexibly for decades, as well as her insights into what makes an organisation work for its people. Thank you for listening. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Gay. Thank you. So I do like to start by asking our guests about their leadership journey, about where they are now and how they've been able to make it family friendly and whatever that means to them. So can I ask you that question? How have you made your leadership family friendly? What has this journey been like for you? It is quite funny, actually, because sometimes I feel like I'm a young person trapped in an old person's body. But flexibility, which everyone talks about, especially over COVID, but Previously to that, it's been such a key component of employee value propositions. But I have a 20-year-old child and I've worked flexibly the whole time and I've sort of just expected it. And I think when you know how you can make flexibility work by focusing on outputs and focusing on communicating well and making sure you set expectations with your team and also with leaders and with the stakeholders you need to deal with well, you can actually make it work. So I think for myself, it's sort of evolved over my career, you know, becoming a mum and, you know, needing to look after my daughter, as well as my father had a long-term illness and managing a bit of care in there as well, that you are able to do that. And so, you know, I talk quite openly with my team about them being in charge of their own flexibility story and how they make it work and to make sure they manage that well with me. So I think there's just a difference in terms of, you know, who you give the power to and how you engage with people on flexibility. So what did flexibility look like to you, say, 15 years ago when it's probably, I mean, it wouldn't have been as perhaps as easy as it might be today, not to say that it's easy now, but we do have technology and various other things that make us very accessible. So what was it like, say, 15 years ago? Yeah, so look, I had a laptop then and the internet was invented, so it wasn't that long ago. (laughs) But, um, you know, I did do some crazy days. I would not work in some mornings and work at night, so I could manage that. I lived near the airport when there were key leaders coming in 
to the office that they would often meet me at home or we'd have a coffee somewhere near home and, you know, sometimes I would take a pram and, and that would actually work, you know, for meetings with people. So there was a bit of flexibility and a bit of change around some of those times of the days that I was working flexibly and knowing that I would be catching up at night, which suited me and my family. So I think the collaboration tools have just come such a long way and having some of those in that time would have been more incredible to really leverage yeah, because we do talk about the collaboration tools and, I mean, I know obviously um, having a laptop and internet obviously available 15 years ago, I guess what was less available was the smartphones and how we use technology now, the comms platforms, the fact that we're always messaging, always on. I wonder if back, say, 15 years ago, if you felt it was easier to be sort of either working or not and how you think that is now, if it is blended in a good way or blended in a way that can sometimes be difficult or challenging. Look, I certainly think over the the COVID lockdowns and being a Melbourne person, we've been locked down a lot. And I think that's been challenging to actually turn off because there's nothing else to do. So you just tend to keep on working. So I I think that has been challenging. I think it is really important to make sure that you do have periods where you are off because that always on culture is very tricky. And certainly, you know, if I think about the old days of my BlackBerry and how excited I was when I could open a PowerPoint on my BlackBerry, where now you can virtually do everything on your smartphone that you can do on your computer. So it does give you a lot of flexibility if you need to be dropping someone off like I was this week, or if you need to be working remotely, you can do that quite easily from a range of different places and not being locked into going to a different place where you've got an office and a PowerPoint and, you know, you can actually do that remotely. So I think that provides, you know, great flexibility. But there is that other element of, you know, making sure you put on your own oxygen mask first. So making sure you're keeping yourself well and understanding when you need to have breaks and to really actually schedule in some good breaks. Yeah. So I want to move on to asking about Mercer and how Mercer is family friendly and some of the changes that I know that you've already introduced there, only having been in the role for a few years. I guess this is interesting with Mercer because it comes in the context of the fact that you do so much research. You've got your 10-year benefit trend analysis. You've got your global parental leave report, your When Women Thrive report. You're, you're right in the thick of understanding what works in organisations, particularly around employee benefits and what employees might be looking for. So with that in mind, I mean, that's a lot, but maybe just to start with some of the key policies, what are you really excited about at Mercer in terms of how you're trying to create a more family-friendly workforce? So what I'm most excited about is Mercer is a purpose-led organisation and our purpose is to make a difference in people's lives and we get to do that for our clients uh, but we also get to do that for our colleagues and Mercer firmly values diversity and inclusion. It's understood by our full leadership team that by respecting and valuing and leveraging all aspects of diversity that we will foster greater innovation and really have a competitive edge in our business. And so we, you know, obviously do a whole range of research being a career consulting organisation as well as a superannuation and actuarial firm. So it is really cool for me because I get a really great toy box of things to play with as a head of HR. But across the Mercer business, the leaders are committed to our diversity agenda 
and are committed to all roles can flex. So that's been something that we've been working on for probably the last four and a half years, way before the pandemic. And it's something that um, actually held us in really good stead for the pandemic. And you know, when it comes to, to family friendly, we've done a lot of work on our parental leave policies over the years, as well as you know other in- inclusion initiatives, which focus on Indigenous Australians, as well as you know people with disabilities as well. Yeah. Can I ask about parental leave? We touched on that briefly prior to this conversation. So on parental leave, what are you currently offering there and what kind of changes have you introduced to, to the policy? Yeah, so we uh, we offer a 12-week parental leave policy, so that's fully paid. Uh, we pay superannuation on our parental leave as well. We have no time limits to access parental leave and it was one of those things we used to, we've made that change now and probably in my first year at Mercer, I'd approved more exemptions to that piece of policy of, you know, having to be with the organisation for 12 months before you could get um, parental leave. And so, you know, I I spoke to the leadership team about about it and said, look, you know, really we've got some great people, we've just hired them because we think they're the best in the market and they're the best for us and for anyone who is a parent, it's actually hard to time some of those uh, things about becoming a parent. uh, you know, children don't um, beat to the same sort of drum that, that we have all the time. <laughs> they're not and quite in the diary. No, they're not alongside quite in the other diary. appointments, are they? No. That's right. And so when, when people have this most amazing part of their life, why wouldn't we support them if they haven't been with us for the requisite 12 months? And, you know, we did also talk about the fact that if you are making a decision to have a child, it's not a decision that you take you take lightly. It's not something where you say, gee, I'm going to get 12 weeks leave from Mercer, I might have a baby. You know, that's not what, what goes through your mind. So, you know, we've got really great return rates and, um, you know, we spend quite a lot of time with people making sure that they feel really well supported and they're connected in. There are, I think it's 10 keep in touch days for people to come back and we pay people to to come back for those and to be really connected in with, you know, still getting any notifications that they want to and be invite, they're invited back to town halls. We've also, you know, run lunches where people can bring their babies back in and we get senior leaders to tell them about, you know, what's been changing in the business while they've been off so that, you know, when they come back, they, they feel like they can hit the ground running. So um, certainly the time element we've changed and more recently we've scrapped secondary carers. So we know it's such an important time for men and women to participate in um, parenthood and so both men and women at Musa can access the full 12 weeks leave. Uh, we don't require stat decks of who's at home or whatever. Both people can take the leave and if they both work for Musa, they can still both take the 12 weeks leave. What kind of reaction did you have to that kind of change that's obviously very significant to remove those primary and secondary carer labels? Yeah, I think we think about cost of, you know, benefits and that always comes into into play. I think the benefits by far outweigh that and that was something our leadership team were very cognizant of and very happy to support. So so that was great. But we've had some really sensational support and um, feedback from the team just, you know, over the last two years, we've made quite a few changes to parental leave and people have really enjoyed seeing those and, you know, been talking about it and done, you know, unsolicited posts on LinkedIn, which is always great for our brand when our people are happy to talk about their policies that we have in the marketplace. Yeah. So I mentioned the reports that Mercer does, and one of those reports is around the 10-year benefit trend analysis that you do around parental leave. That's particularly interesting, particularly this past 10 years, because 
now we're starting to see more progressive employers like Mercer start to remove those primary and secondary labels. And if you if you go back 10 years, that just would have been seen as so revolutionary. And it's still seen as revolutionary now, but Mercer's not alone in doing that. We're seeing other firms doing that. We're seeing kind of benchmarking and showing how that is slowly becoming best practice, which is so important. Um, can I ask you about this analysis from the past 10 years? What what would you see as particularly interesting to consider about how far employers have come? Yeah, I think um, you know, when we look at the 10-year benefit trends you know, of parental leave, 10 years ago, the, the median number of paid parental leave weeks was nine weeks for the primary caregiver and one week for a secondary caregiver. And today, you know, we're seeing majority of organisations still requiring that majority of 12-month service, although a lot of them are removing it, but it's still one of those pieces in there that we're still still seeing. But we are seeing a steady uptick of um, males accessing parental leave as the primary caregiver. So that's gone up 12% since 2014. So that's good to see that, you know, the parental load is being shared. Future-focused, we know that uh, we'll see them becoming more flexible. We haven't seen lots of organisations, you know, scrap the secondary and primary caregiver in that 10-year window. But I think in the next little while, we'll see quite a move. As you would have seen, there's been some quite significant moves in the market probably over the last 12 months in parental leave. You know, some organisations have gone to 26 weeks paid parental leave, which is a, a huge move. The review we did also covers elder care, which we're seeing emerging as a benefit for Australian workers as they start to care for an ageing population. So, you know, the care is starting to come at both ends. And I think it's a really interesting thought bubble because I know in the last probably 10, 15 years, you know, the grandparents as carers has really become, you know, so important because people are living longer and they're they're fitter in in that part of their life. So they're actually taking a more active role in helping people get back to work and sharing the caring load. But then that also then impacts in terms of, you know, people needing to care for for ageing parents and and ageing loved ones as well. What would you make of parental leave, I guess, post the pandemic now? And I ask this in the context of, you know, right now we are having a lot of discussions about the great resignation, whether or not that's true in Australia. I think we're yet to see. There's certainly a really strong war for talent, but then we're also seeing how employees, particularly in some of these big firms, are having a lot more say over how and where they will work and remote learning and aspects of remote learning clearly looks set to continue beyond this current period. So I think it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, the next 10 years will be the next big shift around parental leave. But can I ask more generally around HR and people management, what do you think happens next from this period? And in the the frame of this conversation about family friendly, what happens next that might be really beneficial to parents and can make us feel really optimistic about working parents? I think the next phase is going to be more about co-creation. So I think individuals have a lot more power and that, you know, the hierarchy piece at work has really changed. Like, you know, we, we seek feedback from our people, you know, through engagement surveys, which I know we've been doing for years, but uh, we run at Mercer a Fueled by Feedback sessions that we run all through the year. And so I go to every single one of those and um, we take different segments of our workforce and it's come and have a conversation with me around, you know, aspects of um, work that's working, not working, so that we can actually understand really 
really, really crisply about what's happening for people. And, and that's been a good way for us to get to more people than just in the Melbourne office, for example. So I'm a bit of a floor walker, Angela. So um, I do, you know, whiz around and, and chat to people at their desks. But over COVID, I've really missed that. So uh, the Fuel by Feedback sessions has really helped us connect with our people. So I think, you know, gone are the days of management teams making policy just by sitting in a room and thinking about what we want to do and how the business is going to work. We need to balance how's the business going to work and what do we need from our talent and how do we also look after our talent and support them in their career, in their well-being and also in the balance that they need to to manage with their family. So I really think that that co-creation piece is going to be the, the secret source going forward. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really interesting. I love that term, the co-creation. So Going forward as well, I mean, you mentioned you're, I think you're back in an office, I'm not sure actually, but, um, and I understand that some people want to be in the office and thrive off those communications and it really supports their leadership and what they're doing and um, their energy levels and things like that. And some people want to be in the office half the time, other people don't necessarily want to be in an office, other people don't have as much opportunity to be in an office, so it can create a bit of a divide. Do you have concerns around what the hybrid workforce might mean around some of the progress or some of the progress we've made, particularly for women in the workforce, particularly for parents in the workforce? Do we run the risk of women perhaps working at home more so than men working in the office, which would then create other issues and biases and other situations? Look, Angela, I think that's a really great question. Um, I don't think we know exactly how it's going to go. So at Mercer, we're taking a principle-based approach. So we have a, a range of principles that we want our people to think about around, you know, coming back to the office or not coming back. And so one of the, the key components is choice. So, you know, we've spent a lot of time, as I said before, focusing on all roles can flex and being very flexible. And when, when you've got choice in your work, you understand the balance of the partnership with making sure the business is successful as well as you being successful. So, you know, that conversation, that empowerment to choose how you work really makes people more engaged with, with the workplace. So as much as we can do that, we definitely want to do that. But we also know that, you know, we've got clients that we need to work with and, you know, sometimes they like to see us in person. Sometimes they're really happy to just see us on Zoom, but we need to work out that balance and we need to work with our clients and with our teams to understand how that's going to work the best. And, you know, there's some interesting things about how people work. So, Zoom is a medium where you only see people from the shoulders up. So, you lose a lot around coaching people as well as taking other cues from people. So you can't see if they're shuffling their feet because they're actually bored with this conversation and it's time to move on to something else. Um, and you also don't, you can't sort of see the full person and what's happening with them from a body language perspective. Um, but you also miss out when you're not with people, all those little coaching micro moments that you miss. And so we've been thinking about the responsibility of coming back into the office in terms of learning as well as teaching because you learn different things just from going to the water cooler or the the sink um, and, you know, you'll run into someone or you'll overhear a conversation or you'll hear something about a client that you go, actually, you might want to, you know, offer this to them or if, you, if you've seen this or I'm doing this piece of work as well and it might help you, you know, all of those elements. So we do talk about the responsibility to teach and learn 
And there are ways, sometimes that works best in person and sometimes that works super well on Zoom. We've had some sensational sessions on Zoom. We've, one of the interesting things we've noticed is, um, you know, the engagement of our remote offices, so not our Sydney, Melbourne, but our, you know, Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide offices went up by somewhere between 12 and 18 percentage points over COVID. Now, that is an incredible jump. And that's because they actually felt more included because everyone was on Zoom. And sometimes, you know, when we'd have town halls, we'd either be in Sydney or Melbourne or in both of those um, venues. And, you know, everyone else sort of felt like they were just on Zoom. So it is interesting, you know, how the pandemic has, you know, given us some really great lessons and some really great opportunities to learn about how we do things. So sometimes we do things where even though we're in the room, together we'll all be on Zoom and you know work that way because it'll actually work better to include that group that we're dealing with. Um, but we also know there are some elements of in-person that you just can't replicate on Zoom. So we're going to have to get that balance, but we really want to work with our people to understand the best way of doing that. Mm, okay. So this is the Family Friendly Workplaces podcast. So I guess I need to ask what was behind Mercer moving towards that accreditation? And I guess um, with the idea of looking at benchmarking particularly, because I know that that's so big in some of the research that you do as well. So was that an aspect of why you moved to do this accreditation? Look, I think benchmarking just really helps keep you honest and it also helps you get some insight into what's best practice in the marketplace as well. So, um, you know, we have our research, you know, especially around around benefits, but there are other aspects around um, policy that we don't always have. And um, it's great for us to see, you know, what we can learn from partnering with with others. So, you know, we, we love doing partnerships where we can learn more. And, um, you know, already we've, we've picked up a couple of things, you know, through the, the first tranche of, you know, looking at our at, at the bench marking that we put through with the accreditation. Gay, obviously elder care is increasingly becoming important given our shifting demographics and given how we've done our own research on this and we've seen how women often can find themselves squeezed between caring for younger children as well as elder care and, and sorting out arrangements and things like that for older parents or their partner's parents or older relatives or people with disability, whoever it is. I know that you've got a great program in this space called CALM. Can you talk me through what that is? CALM is Care and Living at Mercer. So it's a tool to help um, Australians and their families uh, implement and plan and monitor arrangements for their ageing care and living needs. So it's an online tool that provides you with a personalised roadmap depending on what you need, which covers the full range of ageing options, you know, across from living at home and, and having help, independent retirement living, or also full residential aged care. And for anyone who's gone through that, it can be a minefield to try and understand it. So the online portal enables you to build a plan for yourself, but also has some really great individuals on there who will get on the phone and actually help you build a plan for, for your loved ones. So we know that it's a, a personally a difficult time. Um, there's lots of complexity and information is difficult to, to navigate through the aged care system. So it's, it's one that really helps, especially women who we know through Carers Australia do about 70% of the caring load, you know, really helps people navigate that aged care system and really take a lot of pressure off people because there is the balance of, you know, weighing up the financials, weighing up the care and trying to balance everything you're balancing in your life. 
Yeah, and it's also the research required. That's what we hear from our audience as well is that it's, um, it's, it's not easy to navigate and it's also very emotionally difficult as well. And often, I mean, it, it shouldn't fall on women, but often it is falling on women to, to undertake that research. And not only that, but to obviously navigate that with their family members, their siblings and get everyone to agree on the plan. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a really difficult time. So we offer it as a benefit internally as well. And I know from, from some of the stories that people have shared with us, especially when we're in the pilot phases, you know, the proof points were just um, so blindingly obvious for us where we had some, you know, feedback from people just saying, this is incredible. And I don't know how I would have navigated that minefield without some help. And I think also the independent help piece is is important as well. Mm, okay. So finally, can I ask what you would like other people in your position, whether that's in a large organisation or perhaps a, a smaller organisation, but with a similar job title to you, what would you like them to, to know about pushing forward with more family-friendly policies? You know, I think the term family is quite large. And I think, you know, we've traditionally thought about family as parental leave and having a child, you know, that that's sort of a big um, hiatus in people's career or, you know, it, it can be out of the office for quite a bit of time or a number of years as you have a number of children and there's been such a focus on that. And I think the breadth of what family means is really important. So we've seen, you know, gay marriage come and be accepted in our community. We've been thinking about how we work with adults or children who have disabilities in their family and how they manage the caring needs for those people and then also elder care. So there are just so many different versions of family um, and I think we've sort of had a, a parental leave focus for quite some time and I really think that it's starting to broaden out. So I was really keen to learn about what others were doing and what we could learn from them. Okay. All right. Well, Gay, thank you so much for joining me and congratulations on what you've been able to achieve there in a couple of years and also on the accreditation and for sharing the journey as well. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. The Family Friendly Workplaces podcast is an initiative supporting the new National Work and Family Standards for Workplaces, which informs employers of the minimum and best practice policies they can invest in to create a great family-friendly workplace culture. You can learn more at familyfriendlyworkplaces.com.